Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Welcome to Almost Famous, the podcast where I explore the subject of fame by talking to people who've experienced it themselves and ask them how it has affected their own journey as well as the lives of those around them. My guest today is the UK's most prolific voiceover artist and is arguably best known for being the voice of Britain's Got Talent and The X Factor, it's Peter Dixon. It would probably be easier to give a list of the television shows Peter hasn't worked on, but here are some of the classics that he has voiced over the course of a 42, yes, 42 year career. You will have heard and sometimes even seen Peter on Ant and Dex Saturday Night Takeaway, The Last Leg, Pointless, This Morning, Catchphrase, Harry Enfield and Chums, They Think It's All Over, The Paul O'Grady Show, All Star Mr and Mrs, Live at the Apollo, Stars in Their Eyes, Loose Women, Comic Relief, Sport Relief and many, many more. Peter also holds the unique distinction of having been the youngest ever BBC News presenter at the age of 17 and his radio career included work as an announcer on Radio 2 and performing many of the characters on the Steve Wright Show on Radio 1. So it's a great honour to give a huge, almost famous welcome to Peter Dixon. How are you, Peter? <laughs> Just listening to that, I feel quite exhausted, actually, Barnaby, because that's, <laughs> uh, as you rightly say, it's a 43-year career now. But, uh, um, I mean, that's going back to when I first started. I first started in the business when I was 18, so, um, you know, it's been a long, long time. And uh, But, boy goodness me i've had fun and reading those credits as you well some of the credits it's not all of them by any means but it just reminds me how much um how much i've done how many shows i've worked on and what fun i've had yeah amazing uh, i went through your website amazing list of over a hundred shows i could have i could have gone from i always ask my guests you've already picked me up on one mistake 43 not 42 but what uh, did I did I miss anything out on your intro that you're like oh he should have he should have included that some people can get a little prickly about the things you mess up and that's mainly when I read off their Wikipedia so I think having gone from your actual website I might have done okay yeah you've done it you've done a great job I mean we'll be here all day I would just, <laughs> I would just if anybody is vaguely interested you know um, just uh, look at my website or go to my um, IMDb page you'll see everything more or less everything I've done but I mean in in sort of general terms. I think it's you know it's quite a lot. I, I tried to to sort of uh, tot it up the other day, Barnaby, and I think it's something like over a hundred broadcast TV shows and series. Um, I've been a promo voice. That's the kind of voice that does the promos on about sixty TV channels uh, over those years. I've featured on something like thirty plus, I think, AAA game titles. That's video game titles, yeah. and. In radio commercials, I've done so many of those. I've 
I almost lost count, but I think somewhere around 30,000 radio and TV commercials over that 43 years. Uh, and that's not including all the live events that I do as well. Um, so uh, it's, um, yeah, it's the, one of the great things about my work is that uh, no two days are ever the same. So I never know from one day to the next what I'm going to be doing because I work across all the sectors in entertainment yeah uh, a very busy man that just makes me that, that just makes me want to thank you again for coming on but first and foremost we'll get into a little bit more into the specifics of of, of those different kind of uh, bits of work that you do i'm really fascinated by all of that uh, but let's talk a little bit about the book that you've got coming out peter uh, tell our audience um when they can see that what's it what are they going to get to read well um uh, it's it's a it's a memoir. It's a, it's a, it's not an autobiography. It doesn't touch at all on my personal life, although some of it does impinge on my working life. But I thought, I mean, my friends for many years have said to me, I should write the my the story of my professional working life down because there are so many stories, so many anecdotes, so many funny tales, so many sad stories as well. That I thought, yeah, I I should write it down. And I've been I've been meaning to do it for years, but never really got round to it because I was just too busy. Um, so in the last three years, I well three years ago I started writing it, and during lockdown I finished writing it, and I've just sent it off recently to be published. So. In, um, well, what are we now? We are on the 27th of August, as we're recording this. Uh, on the 14th of September, the audiobook version, which I recorded myself. Who else could I give it to? Um, <laughs> I was going to say, I, I recorded yeah. it myself. That was an interesting experience. I've never done an audiobook before. I'm not sure I'll be repeating the experience again soon. It's quite a marathon. Uh, there are, you know, 320 pages or 100 and I don't know how many thousands of words I'd read but the 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 process is now done that's going to be out uh via the uh, website spoken word audio on the 14th of uh, September and then on the 25th of September it will be available as an audiobook via audible and also uh, as a paperback hardback hardback and ebook version uh, through all the normal bookstores, outlets, and Amazon. And I'm interested because about what you just said about doing your first audiobook then, because I wonder whether was there anything kind of new and slightly weird about having to deliver something that you've written in your own voice? Well, because it was my work, because I'd written it, I suppose you could argue that it was slightly easier for me to read because it's me, it's my thoughts, it's my, it is written in in the first person. So I think it's easier to read something you've written. That's uh, that's pretty obvious. Uh, but there's, there's also this great expectation from everybody that it's going to be absolutely fantastic. So there's a bit of pressure to make sure that, you know, I got it right. And never having done a long-form audio project like that before, uh, I was terrified because... Um, you know, you record a whole chapter, it maybe takes you two or three hours, and then because, you know, you're recording it onto a computer, you have to, well, what I did was I immediately copied the file and sent it to the cloud because I was terrified that I would lose everything, you know, and uh, when when you create long-form stuff like this, uh, you need to save it to various locations because, you know, I don't trust technology any longer. Anything can happen in the interim. So I've, I've, all, I've made multiple copies of it on external hard drives and in the cloud. So uh, that was interesting. And then there was the whole editing process because as good as I am, Barnaby, uh, we all make mistakes. And when I'm when I'm reading out loud, you know, I come, I frequently stumbled and 
breathed in the wrong places. So all that has to be edited. And I took the responsibility of doing that myself. So that took forever to do. And uh, so the, the result, I think, is I'm pretty pleased with it. But um, like anything you do, like like anything I do, I'm never 100% happy. I don't know why. It's just that pursuit of pers- of perfection that none of us ever get to. Yes, uh, we've talked about this a lot in the, this podcast with a lot of our guests, that kind of feeling that as a performer, even when things go really, uh, really well and just how you want them, the um, the enjoyment of it is not, you can't enjoy it for nearly as long as you'd like to because you're so busy thinking about the next project or worrying about how other people are going to react. It, it's kind of a, to be honest, Peter, it's quite a relief to hear someone with your CV and the 30,000 uh, commercials you've done still talk about being terrified at doing something different or uh, wondering how it's gone, etc. It's a relief to those of us without that back that back catalogue well i you know i think it's it's been this that those feelings were the same on day one as they are now and i think you could arguably say that even more so now because one has a reputation and you're only as good as your last thing and so as you get more experienced and more well known i suppose the expectation on you is greater so you you have to deliver even better stuff each time you do it so it's um it is undoubtedly true that most people do feel that they've never given their best you are you ask that question of any sportsman or any actor or motor racing driver whoever whoever is striving to do something either faster or better or you know creatively mm. uh, interesting then i think it's always the case that you never feel you've got there um you get close to it sometimes but you never get there fully there's always something or some aspect about the work i've ever done I've always felt it's good enough, but it probably could be better. You know what I mean? I think it's yeah. it's it's it's, a, it's a it's something that we all have to bear, and I don't think there's anything you can do about it. I've learned to live with that. I mean, you just you've just got to do your best, and and that's it. So going back into your own career and how you've got to this, you know, this point of of where you said, you know, it's perfect for you, and that you have. You, you know you're doing what you love but you don't you can step out the door and nobody knows who you are but I'm intrigued because obviously I'm assuming you started off as a journalist and that's how you got into being a newsreader and was there a choice at at, at that point in terms of being a newsreader on radio at, at any point did you think I'd like to become on television I guess radio to television that kind of natural progression or did it just happen by chance? It well, the, the like any career, it kind of happens by happenstance or chance, as you say. Yes, you're absolutely right. I started out uh, wanting to be a, a radio presenter or a DJ, or a, I didn't quite know what I wanted to be um, when I was at university. And then I, when I graduated, I joined the BBC as an announcer. And then um, how how did you get that uh, job? How oh, did well, you get that's that an job? interesting question. I I was when I was at university, I, I joined the film societies. Like universities have these societies, don't they? And I, I joined this thing called the Film Society. One of the guys that helped out on at the Film Society was a BBC cameraman um, at the BBC, and he had produced this documentary, um, which he just made off his own bat using the university equipment because you know he was helping us, so we helped. We, he was able to do that. Anyway, he said, uh, I, I need somebody to narrate this. Do you know who could do this? And I said, well, I'll have a go. And I'd never narrated anything in my life before. But I was interested in acting, and I'd done acting at school and everything. So I, I thought, I'll have a go at this. So I narrated this documentary for him, and he said, that was, that was actually quite good. Was, Thank you very much. So it was great. He said, they're looking for people down at the BBC uh, to, uh, to do part-time announcing work. Um, would you 
be interested in applying. I'll give you the guy's name. He gave me the guy's name. I rang him up. I went in for an interview. I did a, a brief audition. I was only 18 at the time. Can you imagine the brass neck walking into the BBC at 18? Yeah. Uh, these were the, well, the brass neck for me to even phone the number. I'd be so scared. Well, I mean, this is, this is the... Uh, this is the arrogance of youth, I guess. And I, anyway, I, I, I ended up getting a phone call a week later saying, can you start on Monday? <laughs> Amazing. And um, uh, my mother had to drive me there. And uh, so I started working <laughs> part-time, you know, doing sort of little, bit, little jobs here and there. And eventually, when I graduated, I joined the BBC full-time as an announcer. And then, um, I, then I thought to myself, well, journalism was quite interesting. And it seemed to me a much more respectable thing than just playing records or being a voiceover or doing whatever I did. Sure. And so I, I, I dabbled in journalism for about six months. Um, in truth, after about three weeks, I realized it wasn't for me. Uh, I was a terrible journalist. I would never have never have done uh, anything <laughs> with it. Although I, I worked alongside some of the best, you know, from Kate Aidy to Nick Witchell, uh, you know, all those people who came through the newsroom. And um, I, I became a sub-editor in television news, but it wasn't for me, Barnaby. You, you, you know in your heart of heart, you, yeah, to be a good journalist, you have to have printer's ink in your veins. You need to really know how to ferret out a great story and, and mm -hmm. have a have an ability to tell that story. And I, I just didn't have it then. You know, Maybe now would be different. However, um, as chance would have it, I then applied for another job as a Radio 2 announcer, newsreader in London, and got that job and spent eight glorious years working on Radio 2, doing continuity announcing, news reading, presentation, and disc jockeying on Radio 2, which was most fabulous fun through the night you know midnight till 6 a.m in the morning just yeah. me and a box of records and uh, and an engineer for company and a flask of coffee and a tray of sandwiches it was it was great fun thinking back on it now i don't know how i did it i i would just be terrified to do that now but again you know the, the more often you do things and the arrogance of youth you just get on with it i must have i can't imagine what it sounded like but it must be awful but uh, <laughs> there you go um I don't doubt. And then, that from, could, and then from that point, from that point on, then I met Steve Wright on Radio One because the studios were next to each other. I started doing voices for Steve Wright's show on Radio One, character voices and telephone voices, yeah. and found I really enjoyed that. So that kind of gave me the idea that maybe here was a way of me earning a living as a character voice actor. So I, I then eventually left the left Radio Two and went completely freelance and started doing. Everything that a voiceover actor does, I was doing, you know, commercials. I was doing corporate work. I was doing even telephone systems. I did, you know, and I was even the voice of the bin lorries for one at one point. <laughs> Caution: vehicle reversing. And uh, <laughs> I'm very proud of that. You're and, very good uh, at it, Peter. Uh, I'm very good. I'm the best bin lorry reversing voice in the world. Um, so there you go. That's that's how I got into it. Um, and from that point on, it was just a question of, of, of being a freelance, of building my uh, business, building my client base, building trust with people, because that's what it's all about. People trust you with their projects, and you have to deliver. In fact, you have to over-deliver. I always over-deliver and uh, under-promise all the time. And I, I think that's very important. I guess I'm intrigued then to know whether there was a point. I, I don't know. Was there a point when you... Because um, you talked about you know being eighteen and getting that job at the BBC because a, a, a colleague recommended you. Did you get any training at the BBC? Did you train on the job? Because having talked about gravy for the brain and how you're helping train other people, it seems almost like you had. I don't know. Unless you tell me different, did you have the voice and you were confident that you had the right voice for this kind of work, or was there some element of 
you feeling like you were blagging it when you got some training or you trained on the job? How did that work? Well, I think there's always an element of blagging. Uh, I think even for everybody, you know, uh, you've got to you've got to fake it to make it a lot of the time. But I, I think um, it's yeah, the BBC was one of the greatest training grounds I ever for everybody, every discipline from cameramen to sound engineers to announcers they they had training departments they don't nowadays i don't think except for the engineering side they probably do i'm not so sure but anyway in those days they had training schools they had a a place called wood norton in evesham where the engineers went as announcers we had a we had a thing called the pronunciation department and the 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 announcers training department so we go and have sessions training sessions with um other announcers who are more senior to me and the, the couple of guys who ran the department would run courses and we would uh, they would analyze your reading both your news reading your conversational continuity reading and they give you you know the most amazing feedback and uh, and I certainly benefited from that process yeah no no doubt about it the BBC for those nine years at Radio 2 was was a wonderful experience. And also just watching other people working. And I worked alongside some of the greats from Terry Wogan to John Peel. You know, I, I, I went into the uh, studios where they worked, Ray Moore, um, John Dunn, um, you know, Bruno Brooks and Steve Wright. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. All these people, I watched them at close quarters and spoke to them and asked questions. And that in itself was like a university education to me. It was wonderful to see how these masters of the art did it. 
and I tried to emulate what they did. We all stand on the shoulders of giants at the end of the day. And that brings me really nicely to a question I wanted to ask you about, specifically about your voice. Now, obviously, because of all the different genres you do, I'm sure you have different ways of, of doing it. But as you've mentioned, you're probably best known for, you know, let's call it the voice, the X Factor voice or whatever. Is that is that a unique voice that you found and stumbled across and a, a version of yourself that you that you engineered or um, is that influenced by anyone previously or, or how you know how do you come across these different ways of delivering for different genres I guess well what I say to people is you you've got to keep your ears open you know, be an avid consumer of popular media so go to the cinema a lot watch movies uh, watch TV a lot listen to the radio listen not just to the radio shows but listen to the commercials and absorb the cultural mores, the 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 way the zeitgeist has moved, and and try and um, use that information to incorporate into your own read. So you shouldn't really be copying anybody as such. It should be you, but it could be versions of other people in your delivery. But over time, you see, when you become more confident, you find your own voice. And for, for some people, it's quicker than others. It took me quite a long time to find mine. Uh, I was playing the part of a radio announcer. I was, I was adopting a voice, um, for sure. Um, and so my own voice changed over time. And so I think there's a little bit of everybody in all of us, you know, in terms of, in terms of how we sound. Uh, we are all influenced not only by our parents, but our teachers and our peers. We we um, we adopt vocal characteristics of people we like and are influenced by. Um, and I think that's true of everybody. So in terms of the voices I've created, in, in terms of the character voices I've created, there's a little bit of, for instance, that that um, the character I did for Steve Wright show called Voice Over Man, which was born out of the commercial work I was doing, uh, I'd, I'd been listening to to these voices in the 80s who, would, who were on radio commercials who sounded like this. And they talked with this very, very high prosody up and down. Yes, that's right. There's a bouncy <laughs> castle for the kids. Join us, Bank Holiday Monday. We're just off the ring road. You know, that kind of... That kind of sort of very still a real throwback to my childhood there Peter. yeah it really is that's right uh so that voice then became the voice of this character for steve wright show called voice over man and he he spoke like that all the time even in his private life you know he just yeah. couldn't yes that's right steve i'm going down to the shops today and um <laughs> and you know he spoke like that was his that was his voice he couldn't get out of it and so when um when the x factor came along uh I uh, I thought, well, here's uh, here's an opportunity to use elements of that voice, you know, that sort of very stylistic voice, but to make it even deeper and more stentorian and more self-important than what a word than the usual. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, well, I must have eaten a dictionary this morning. What's going on with me? Uh, I can see people looking that up as I speak. Um, <laughs> I'm not, sure, I'm not sure I even know what it means myself, but it sounds great. Um, but you know what I mean? It's it's one of those things mm. where you think, yeah, I'm going to take a bit of that voice, a little bit of that person, and I'm going to mix them together, and then you come up with something completely different. So, yeah. But then at X Factor, for instance, you know, on Series 1 16 years ago, my voice on that sounded oh. very different to the way it ended up 16 years later, year on year on year on year on, you know, 
Cowell would say, I want it louder, I want it bigger, and you know, yeah. and I'd be, you know, bleeding like a Bond villain from my eyeballs. And and then and you know, I had to have a, a towel in the studio just to mop myself down afterwards. It's uh, yeah, so these things change over time, they morph, and it's the zeitgeist thing again. Things move, you know, and so nothing ever stays the same, plus ça change. But I think that's a good example as well in terms of the process, because even putting myself just for five seconds there in Simon Cowell's shoes, the X Factor has just got bigger and bigger and bigger. It's a huge Saturday night primetime shiny floor show. Everything is so bombastic. So of course he's going to need every single part of it to to level up on tone and and that just makes sense. Well the funny thing is in the in the early days nobody gave me any direction. I mean I just I just saw this show. I saw the pilot and I knew this was I wasn't quite sure. I th- I thought it was I knew it was half pantomime, half serious, you know. I thought well I've got to give it a voice that's got to sound really big and important to make it sound important even though it isn't it's an entertainment show uh, so um over the years i just thought i'll push it a bit further I'll, this year i'm going to do a little bit bigger and um and so it got bigger and bigger and more ridiculous and more portentous and um <laughs> and, uh, and we end up you know 16 years later down the line here we are with this uh, super ridiculous voice which um you know is uh, has been I think would be instantly recognised by by ninety five percent of the population if they heard me do it in the street. Yes, and and I should say for our audience, um, just to kind of uh, pull this round, uh, there's a brilliant, brilliant clip of the comedian Joe Lysett who does an incredible impression of your X Factor voice, and you and him met by chance, I think, at a uh, Chortle Comedy Awards, and you kind of both do your X Factor voices opposite each other and it's very, very funny indeed. So check that out on YouTube. Oh, there's a whole, there's, there are lots of those on YouTube, including Harry oh, Styles really? and Niall Horan. Oh, well, I need to check that out. I definitely need to check uh, that out. Uh, um, yeah, Peter, yeah. the first series of this podcast was um, about, uh, I interviewed people who'd grown up with famous parents or siblings. So I always like to ask my guests now, uh, how has you being in the public eye to some degree uh, affected your family? What do they think of it? Well, my, I was—I think I was to my two sons, who are now grown up in their twenties. Um, I was—I was an embarrassment to them. I think. I think when you're—I think—I think so. I think when you, I think all parents are generally, but even more so when you're when you have famous parents, they didn't have the same kind of um, embarrassment as I say, if somebody who was visually known, like a, an actor or a, a presenter, you know, who or a singer for instance you know where you're on tv a lot visually you know you go into school and people have seen your your mother or your father on television or maybe something didn't go quite as well as it should have or there's been an, uh, some some incident somewhere you know the, the children do get affected by it but as i said earlier at the start of this interview you know i'm not well known um visually so although i have done some tv work but not enough to make it so that i'm visually recognized so my my kids really grew up um i think sort of quietly kind of quite um quite sort of uh, oblivious to the whole thing um although their their friends knew what i did um but i think they were more kind of bothered by the fact that i used to wander around the house talking to myself a lot <laughs> practicing and trying out new voices and I, they got they got used to it in the end but you know, I, I was a bit of a. I, they must have thought I was a, a lunatic, um, a schizophrenic father. Uh, yeah, I, absolutely. Yeah, I, I was. I would talk to myself 
uh, I would have conversations with myself, uh, not realizing they were perhaps listening to me, but uh, I would be having conversations with myself um, in two different voices and accents. And uh, this is something that we we do as voice actors. We have to practice all the time. And until I got my studio in my house, I used to do it in you know my study or the living room or the bedroom or wherever. And they'd be quite used to hearing me talking to myself. Very funny. And that's a vision uh, that I can easily <laughs> imagine, to be honest, Peter. Um, as my audience will know by now, this uh, series, we kind of changed it a little bit because a lot of the people that I've interviewed before, um, many of them have talked about the worst thing about being famous or in the public eye is uh, dealing with negative stories from the press or social media. And, yeah. and I mentioned this to you um, before we came on air, and you've actually said how lucky you are that being a voice artist, you're kind of fortunate not to have to suffer much criticism. But you did tell me a great story about when you worked on the Eurovision Song Contest. So I wonder if you want to go into that a little bit and we can talk a little bit about um, how that's kind of... I think you mentioned that it, it kind of helped you. Yes. I mean, I understand and I get it that most of what's written in the papers, let's face it, is particularly the the, the, uh, the you know the red tops it's made a lot of it's made up it's not true uh, and I do know that for a fact because I've been around famous people and I know them I know things that are written about them aren't true uh, so I don't I don't I don't believe everything I read anyway um, however yes um, many years ago this is going back uh, to when I worked um, uh, in radio um, the um, the Eurovision Song Contest, I don't know whether they still do this, but they used to have regional voting juries. So they'd go to all the major BBC regions. You know, I was working in Belfast at the time. So uh, they go to Cardiff, Belfast, Glasgow and London. And uh, there's a jury foreman. And I remember very clearly one one year uh, my boss said, would you would you do this? Would you sit in and, and, and give the, the votes from the Northern Ireland jury? I said, yeah, I'd love to do that. So I was sitting in this studio in Belfast and, and watching the show go out live on BBC One. Terry Wogan was presenting it. And I watched the, the jury before me. I think it was the, the Welsh jury foreman gave the results for each song. And then Terry crossed to me and um, I gave my uh, gave the results from our jury. And then whatever happened, something happened to my earpiece. I couldn't quite hear what he said uh, because there was audience noise in the background. The audience was laughing and cheering. And he said something to me, and I maybe misunderheard, mis misheard what he'd said. And I said something back to him, which was totally irrelevant or inappropriate or nothing to do with what he'd asked me. There was a huge howl of laughter from the audience in London. And then they were off as fast as they had been there. Anyway, the next day in the paper, I, I just happened to be uh, reading the paper. And there was this uh, review of the Eurovision Song Contest in the paper and the, the this particular journalist had described me uh, during that broadcast as a as a let me get this right as a uh, a plastic injection molded link man <laughs> right what does that even mean well I, I think what he meant was i was like some sort of um, you know predictable plastic injection molded kind of you know same old vanilla thing you know? yeah so yeah. um that was quite stinging, you know, and uh, it was my very first TV appearance, actually. So, you know, it wasn't a great start. Anyway, I was quite young. But since that and day, I, I kind of vowed to myself that whatever I did again, whether it be on TV or on radio, I would never again be that plastic injection molded Linkman. I would be a lot less predictable and a lot more kind of interesting and less vanilla. And I think that stood me in good stead. So, you know, you could say, we could argue that that negative press um, actually 
had a very positive outcome for me personally because I uh, and I always teach this to other voice artists and voice actors. I say, you know, when you're submitting your demo reel um, to your agent or to a potential employer, your reel should really sparkle. It should be dangerous in some parts. It should be it should create that what we call the water cooler moment when they hear it. They will stop the tape, or they'll stop the the the. Um, they don't do tape anymore. They'll stop the MP3 file, <laughs> and they'll and they'll they'll say to their colleague, "Hey, listen to this. You know, you want that reaction rather than yeah, yeah, it's okay, it's vanilla. They're all there's hundreds of guys like that. And so whatever you're doing, whether you're a photographer or an actor or a voice artist or a painter, you want to be less of that plastic injection molded link man. You want to be more vibrant more dangerous more unpredictable more interesting no absolutely and peter if that book that you're releasing next month isn't called plastic injection molded link man then i feel like you've missed a trick <laughs> <laughs> it's called voiceover man but uh oh well, I, that I, was, I, I have missed a trick. plan b I, was that if only i'd spoken to you three months ago barnaby we could have sorted that out but there you go um and did you that you know so that that i'm interested interested especially with you saying that was your first ever appearance on tv and I feel like if it had been me, I probably would have um, buried my head in a duvet for about three weeks and vowed never to go on TV again. But you actually managed to straight away find some positivity in it and be like, OK, I'm going to I'm going to change. I'm not going to take that negativity uh, through with me and I'm going to take positivity from it and, and actually listen to it and change. Yes. I mean, it wasn't easy at the time. I mean, I don't deny that it was a it was a horrible thing to have to happen, you know, being laughed at on national television <laughs> for being uh, boring or whatever I'd said. I can't remember now. It's so long ago. But I do remember thinking uh, I did did have the I did have my head in my hands for a while. I was under a duvet for a, a few days. Uh, uh, but um, you know, in this business, and in fact, in most businesses, you have to develop a certain thick skin, and uh, you have to just get on and, and learn from every failure. I've always, um, well, I've, I've you know, I've read quite a bit of of, of biographies of successful people, you know, and, and all of them, bar none, have said that failure has played a huge part in their lives. You cannot have success without failure. I fail every day at things. I, I'm, I'm not great at some things. I'm great, good at some things, not great at others. But I fail constantly. And but, but the point is, you can't just lie down. You've got to pick yourself up, learn from the mistakes and keep moving forwards. And it's the moving forwards. It's the what Churchill used to say, KBO. And uh, what he meant by that was keep buggering on. And you know, he, he, he was a he was one of the one of the greatest statesmen that ever lived. He wasn't. He didn't have a perfect record by any means. You know, he was. He was responsible for some terrible mistakes during his uh, not just his premiership, but when he was first Lord of the Admiralty. You know, there were disasters. Uh, but at the end of the day, in the forties, when his when his time came, he was the right man at the right place. He, he uh, you know, he had the right um, mental fortitude to get this country through what was undoubtedly its darkest period in its history, in its recent history. So uh, I think, not to get too grand about it, I think you know, just failure is a component of success, and you have to you have to greet it with uh, as not just not a personal sense of failure, but a sense of learning and how you can move on with it. Absolutely. And and what I got from that, Peter, is that you're saying that you're the next Churchill. So that works out for everybody. Um, <laughs> <laughs> just a few quick fire questions, Peter. So uh, first thing that comes to the top of your head, if possible, uh, what's the most embarrassing thing that's happened to you because of being famous slash in the public eye? <laughs> um, 
Oh, oh, I, most embarrassing thing. Being, I think once when I was on a train, I was sitting uh, in a compartment and there were three uh, people on the table opposite and they were doing impressions of me. And that was, that was excruciatingly <laughs> embarrassing because they didn't know I was there. <laughs> of course, of course. What's the best thing about being in the public eye? Not being in the public eye. Yeah, I knew you'd say that. And the worst thing about not being in the public eye? <laughs> The money. Uh, I mean, with fame comes cash. Uh, I mean, although I, I don't do too badly, I think radio certainly has always been the poor relation to television. And certainly those who are out of vision on television are the poor relation to those who appear on camera. But as I said, it's a trade off. You know, you can earn a lot more money as a face on television, but then you've got to... Um, sacrifice some of your liberty and privacy brilliant and final question knowing all that it entails and with the benefit of hindsight would you give up being famous slash in the public eye in your or your version of it if you had the chance by which i mean you'd have the same family you'd have the same finances you'd have the same life but your voice uh, your voice would never have been heard on tv or radio and uh, you would never have had anybody at a party say to you, you do that, do me the voice. <laughs> no, I think I wouldn't, I wouldn't give it up. I, I, lo- I love the, um, the, 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 uh, I love the identity that I have. I love the, um, the, uh, the body of work that I've been associated with, the shows I've worked on. And uh, I think all of that really makes me who I am today. And I'm so proud of all of it. There's nothing I regret doing. Um, with the exception of maybe one or two things, one or two <laughs> shows, which we won't mention, but uh, they, no. they never saw the light of day. Uh, but I, I've, I mean, I've done everything from circuses to the London 2012 Olympic Games to Brainiac Science Abuse and Guinness World Record shows and Family Fortunes, yeah. as you mentioned earlier, to big comedy shows like Live at the Apollo. And, uh, you know, it's just been a, a lovely kind of merry-go-round that goes around every year. And a lot of these shows come back year after year, and it's just so nice to get back into it again. Peter, thank you so much for coming on. Tell the audience once again when your book comes out. Okay, it comes out as an audiobook on the 14th of September via uh, via uh, Spoken Word Audio. You'll find that on the internet. Uh, that's for two weeks. And then on the 25th of September, it's out on Audible and also in paperback, in hardback, and also as an ebook. So you can get those from all good retailers, including amazon there you go awesome guys thank you so much for listening to this episode of almost famous please do press that subscribe button rate the podcast and leave us a comment too and find us on instagram at almost famous the podcast and on twitter at pod almost famous and we'll speak to you uh you'll hear from us next time thanks so much goodbye even on a budget quality is non-negotiable that's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. 
Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.